0: Welcome to the Assembly of Yahweh Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you're here. For more information, you can visit hallelujah.org or download the AOI app on Apple or Google Play. Good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. It's a beautiful Sabbath day. we get beautiful people. What else? This little food this afternoon? We'll be in good shape, won't we? Yes, sir. It's good to be here. I feel honored to be able to share with you uh, today that the leadership allows us to kind of spread it around a little bit, you know and so it, it is a it is a blessing to be able to share <clears throat> and so uh, and we've had a beautiful weather for like days on end even though we are a little dry maybe a lot dry but we have beautiful weather and so I'm not envious of those guys in the northern countries, you know, where there's snow shoveling snow. I like to go visit snow and come home. That's what I like to do. <clears throat> I'm going to speak today about the lonely walk of the righteous. <clears throat> you think, "Wow, it's kind of weird. Look at all of us here. Are we lonely? And you probably don't you may not feel lonely. <clears throat> Um wind's blowing really hard. <laughs> uh anyhow, and a lot of times in this gathering when we're all here, we're not lonely. We're 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 everybody's together and you got friends and you got fellowship, you're communicating with people. But I heard a pastor speak recently about the conditions in our society. And he spoke about a prophet and how he stand, had to stand alone when delivering his message. <clears throat> and this idea, it got me thinking how many times that we have to stand alone. We may not feel alone right now, but at some point in your life, you're going to have to make a decision. Either you're going to follow the herd or you're going to stand alone. A lot of times it starts really early, like in school, especially if you go to public school. But it, it don't even matter if it's a public school. I mean, there's bad people in private schools. There's there's naughty kids in private schools. Believe it or not. Um, but you know, it's at some point in schools, especially if you're trying to do what's right. At some point, you're going to have to stand alone. You're going to be standing by yourself. The administration is not going to be with you. The students are not going to be with you. <clears throat> you know, and sometimes the people that are closest to us have the most, is where we get the most opposition to the truth. You know, the first person I can think of who, who stood alone in the Bible would be Noah. In Genesis 6, 5, it says, Yahweh saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually. Verse 11 says that the earth was corrupt and violence filled the earth. Yahweh said, I'm going to blot out man whom I've created from the land, for I'm sorry I've even created him. Verse eight says, "But Noah found favor in the eyes of Yahweh. Verse nine says that he was righteous and he was blameless. You ever wonder if Noah tried to to get the the community around him, the ones he was closest to, to to see the light, to, to, to point him to the truth. You ever think about you ever think about that? Or he just he just, you know, ah, they're on their own. Good luck for those. I don't think that was the case I feel like Noah lived a righteous life and he tried to get you see it over and over and over again through the scriptures where we're kind of commissioned to reach out we're supposed to be a light in darkness and that is is our commission you don't have to be a pastor you don't have to be an evangelist but it is our duties to reach out to those who have strayed from the truth you know the record shows that, that all of the righteous people up to Noah's time all died right before the flood. Like Methuselah, Lamech, they all died right before the flood. But I was reading, and you know Noah, had, Noah was the eldest of his family. So he had brothers and sisters as well. Now we don't know what happened to them. If they had gone astray like the rest of the world, we don't know what had happened. Maybe, maybe they did die as well right before the flood. They were righteous. It very well could be that they did stray. They had turned away from Yahweh. They were just like the worst rest of the world. And Noah, he had to stand alone against his own family. It's a very good possibility. He spoke the truth. And he was faithful. and He was delivered, wasn't he? You read in 1 Kings 22, there's a story of a guy named Micaiah. He was a prophet. You didn't want to be a prophet back in Bible times. Life expectancy wasn't real long, you know. And so it was a tough life. But anyhow, King Ahab, king of Israel, he's wanting to go back to war. He's wanting to go to war. He wanted to take back some of this land that's been taken from him. And so he asked Jeho- Jehoshaphat, king of the Judah, he says, hey, I need you to go with me. If we team up, you know, we're going to have success. I need you to go with me, to go take this land back. So Jehoshaphat says, you know, that's probably not a bad deal, but I'm going to need some confirmation. I'm going to need some confirmation. I, I want to make sure that what we're doing It's going to be right. And we're going to have success. So Ahab says, okay, no problem. So he gets these prophets, 400 prophets. He gives them about. And Ahab asks him, "Hey, hey, we're fixing to go on this campaign. We're going to take this land back that was once ours. We're going to take it back. Are we going to have success or not? We're going to go up against Ramoth Gilead. We're going to take it back over. Leah said, man, yeah, just go right on ahead, all of them in unity. Go ahead, take the land. It's yours for the taking. You're going to have success. Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, and he saw all those people, and he said, you know, I don't know what gave it away, but he says, do you not have any prophets of Yahweh? I mean, you got 400 here. Surely one of them is a prophet of Yahweh. But for some reason or another, something gave it away that he recognized that they wasn't prophets of Yahweh. Ahab says, yeah, there's, there's, there's a guy. There's a guy, I know. But I hate him. He never prophesies on my, in my favor. I hate him. So they summon Micaiah. They bring him up. Now, the 400 prophets have just said, go. Take over that land. Go back and get it. When Micaiah goes, he goes, he's asked the same question. Micaiah, we're going to go out and we're going to take Ramoth Gilead. Are we going to have success? Are we going to be able to take this land? Micaiah says, yeah, go on up. Take it. It's all yours. Now Ahab obviously had had some dealings with Micaiah. And he says, haven't I told you before to only prophesy what Yahweh says? He said, yeah. But see, Micaiah was telling him what he wanted to hear, wasn't he? He was t- telling them what he wanted to hear. He's just really confirming what the rest of the prophets had said. He's just confirming it. Micaiah didn't have a chance, did he? <laughs> He, you know, he, 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 if he says, yes, going up, we know that's not right. If he says, you know, no, well he, he's already hated by Ahab. So Ahab puts Micaiah in prison. And he's fed water and bread. Minimum, it says minimum water and bread. Just enough to keep him alive. And he tells Micaiah, says, when I come back safely, I'm going to deal with you. Micaiah says, you know. If you come back safely, then Yahweh hasn't spoken. Micaiah stood alone. All the prophets, he, he was by himself speaking against what, what Ahab was wanting to do. He gave him fair warning. He spoke the truth. You know, evidently the truth is, is unpopular. I'm telling you, it's always been, Satan has always been twisting and turning and outright lies but it is so obvious even in our culture today the biggest news medias i mean every everywhere you go it's you hear lies and it gets to where you don't it's hard to decipher what's true and what's not it's very difficult you got to be very diligent and a lot of people are not going to do that they're not going to believe what they want to believe Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 says, For the time will come when they they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. That's exactly what Ahab had gathered. He gathered 400 prophets. He knew what they would say to him. He knew exactly what they were going to prophesy. He gathered those who, who would tell him what he wanted to hear. That is our culture as well. is the very same way. <clears throat> now, you know, there's a story. Another story of someone who stood alone is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, I've been told if you have a hard time remembering those names, Just remember your shack, my shack, and a bungalow. And you'll remember those names. It'll help you out. Okay. So now that we got that out of the way. Because those are some strange names. But anyhow, you know the story about Nebuchadnezzar. He builds this great big statue. Now, these guys are, they're not in their homeland. They're actually taken captive. They're in Babylon. He takes a statue. He makes a statue. He builds a statue. And he's pretty proud of himself. He's conquered every, every place that he can conquer. So he uh, <clears throat> says, you know what? We're going to build this statue. And we're going to sit out this order that whenever you are here for the music playing, we're going to have all this music playing. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be beautiful. Whenever you hear this music playing, everybody will bow down to this great statue. So the music plays one day. Everybody just bows down. And you've got to imagine now, a lot of these people are not native to Babylon. There, there, there's a lot, of, a lot of people who have been taken captive from different countries all over. But they're bowing down to this. They're bowing down. And, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't bow. So some of the guys, you know, they see this, and say, hey, what is up with this? These guys aren't bowing down. So anyhow, they, they run to tell Nebuchadnezzar, say, hey, you know that order you sent out? Everybody was supposed to bow? There's three of these guys from Israel who didn't bow. So of course, that didn't make that didn't make you know Nebuchadnezzar real happy. He was very upset about the situation. So he calls him in and he says, You know, I heard that you didn't bow. I heard that, that this 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 order us did Now You remember this order, right? He said, Yeah, yeah, we, we remember this order. He said, You did not bow. I'm gonna give you a second chance. I'm gonna give you another another time. We're gonna do this again. And you can bow. Well, they said, hey, hold your breath, Neb. We ain't bowing. We're not bowing to your idol. We're not gonna do it. We're three people. Everybody else has bowed down. And we're not gonna bow to your idol. So then it says his Nebuchadnezzar's countenance fell. Have you ever seen somebody's countenance fall? It's not a pretty sight when their countenance falls. You can just read by the face. You can read so many things, anger, laughter, you know. So his countenance fell. He said, hey, I want you to make that that furnace. We're going to burn them in a furnace. And I want you to make it seven times hotter. Well, to me, if you make it seven times hotter, you'll die that much faster. So maybe it's such a bad deal. But anyhow, regardless of that, they make it seven times hotter. And I've thought about this. Have you ever wondered? Well, anyhow, it was so hot when they they went to toss Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in there. The guards, it was just over, they was overcome by the heat. It was so hot. Hey, have you ever been around a big brush fire? Most of you probably have. I mean, you'll light this fire. And if it's very big, I mean, you're 100 feet away. And it's like, man, it's hot. You can't even get close to it. You don't even want to throw nothing else on there because it's so hot. you got to let it simmer down a little bit. You ever wonder at what point when they're being led to the furnace that it got Cool. It's weird. My mind thinks weird things. Okay, so you know, I mean, surely they felt some heat from that furnace. But as they're approaching, it's getting hotter. It's getting so hot, these guys are dying. to are me in there. And, but at some point, it has to get cool, right? Are they going to be burned up? You'll smell smoke. You'll smell singed hair. At what point, maybe that was a testing of faith as well for them. They said, we're not bowing. If Yahweh, he can deliver us, but if he doesn't deliver us, we're still not bowing down. We're not going to do it. Of course, you know the story. <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar looks in the fire with lots of glee. He said, I'm teaching these guys, aren't I? You know, and he looks and said, I thought we threw three, three guys in there. He yeah, yeah, we threw three, but I see four. And one of them looks like the sons of the gods, the son of the gods. And so, you know, whenever we're faced in opposition, you're going to face some opposition. If you stand for anything at all, you're going to face opposition. That is a given. You might as well get used to it. If you stand for nothing, you won't face opposition. If you stand for nothing, you will not face opposition. You'll just go with the flow. It's easy here. I have no problem with this. Isaiah 43, 2 says, You know, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will a flame burn you. And in all these instances, Yahweh is there. When we're standing alone, Yahweh is there. Now, sometimes we stand alone because it's our fault. You ever heard of misguided zeal? Zeal is a good thing. Misguided zeal is a bad thing. So I don't like speaking in general terms. So I'm going to speak in more specific terms. What would be considered misguided zeal? Misguided zeal could be a pet peeve of mine that I've made into a doctrine. Now think about it. Everybody has different interests, different things that just annoy them, different things that gets on their nerves, but they're not all a doctrine. It might be your doctrine, but they're not all biblical doctrine. I remember years ago <clears throat> in Emory, we had a, there was a church school and of course I, I was out by then, but, uh, some of the boys, they would roll their, their pants up and I think they called them pinning the pants. They would they'd be real tight. Like somebody you might see in the fifties. It was a, it was a cool thing to do back then, <clears throat> but it become this great big issue. This great big issue about rebellion and, and, and all this stuff. And, and I, I'm thinking, you know, this is a fad. They're not indecent. They're not really hurting anybody. And in six months, this will be gone. So in my opinion, this was like a pet peeve of, of somebody's that they made into a doctrine. It really didn't mean nothing. And so all the energy that was wasted in dealing with this, dealing with this rebellion, dealing with this this hideous thing, was just a pet peeve. It was not a doctrine. That's what you call misguided zeal. Another, Another deal in my misguided zeal would be having a major message on a minor issue. So... I'm just starting to think, trying to think of examples. <clears throat> like some people, all you hear is the same message every time. just over and over. it's the same thing. And and some people, that's their, you know that that's kind of is their message, possibly. But sometimes it's like, what can I take away from this? From week to week, or month to month or whenever, what can I, can I use this? So if I was to come up here, Every time I spoke and spoke of, you know, uh, who were the sons of Elohim who took wives for themselves during during Noah's time. If that was my primary message and I would just, oh man, that was just stomp the floor and and, and beat the pulpit, you know, that would be retarded, wouldn't it? (laughs) It's a, it's a major message on a minor issue. And some people do that. So that's misguided zeal. Another thing in this misguided zeal would be trying to promote our ideas, promote my idea, my passions, and give them more clout by using Yahweh's name. That would be misguided zeal. So we have to make sure that what we're speaking is what's needed at the time and what is truth. It's not our own. Sometimes we have to kind of, Wrestle with that, you know, pray about it, think, you know, am I making a bigger deal out of this than it really is? So that's something to, to think about, misguided zeal, because you will stand alone. If you have that and you're, that's all you speak about, you'll be finding yourself, nobody wants to talk to you, nobody wants to, you know, you'll you'll find yourself in that position. You know, another story we read about is in, uh, about Elijah. I want to get this water up I don't know whose it is <laughs> i do though it's actually mine uh, so about eliah and this is where this pastor i was telling you about earlier you know I, eliah was named he had a name he was called the troubler of israel Ahab gave him that name as a troubler of Israel because there had been, a, there's a drought going on <clears throat> where this story picks up. There's a drought going on and they have been looking high and low for Elijah. They've looked everywhere. They cannot find him. Ahab wants, wants to talk to him and say, hey, we got to stop this drought. So Elijah just shows up one day. They've been looking for him all over. He shows up. And Elijah asked, he will says, hey, I want you to gather up all the 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. I want you to gather them up. We're going to have a contest. <clears throat> Eliah, he, he isolates himself even more because he addresses all the people. And he says, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If Yahweh is Elohim, then follow him. But if he is Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer a word. They were undecided. They were probably afraid for their lives as well. But they were undecided. Now, Elijah says, hey, I'm the only prophet left. I'm the, I'm the only one left. You gather these, these prophets of Baal. And we're going to have a contest. And they said, you know... That sounds like a pretty good deal. We're going to have a contest. And so you know the story. He says, hey, you prophets of Baal, we're going to get two oxen. I'll take one, you take one. We're going to build, build uh, sticks and, and fuel underneath it. You're going to do yours, I'm going to do mine. But we're not going to light it. We're not going to set it on fire. You're going to call upon your God. Now, you think about this. Think about, you put yourself in that position. Uh, You get all these prophets. So there's like 850 prophets. Plus all the the, the children of Israel. They're all looking at you, one person. So you you gather all this up. And you pray to your God. And when he answers by fire, that's the one we're going to serve. Everybody says, okay. So they go. And from morning till mid-afternoon, they're praying. And of course, Elias enjoying it a little bit. A little mockery going on, you know. Just kind of goading a little bit. Like, says, hey, maybe you should pray louder. Maybe he's on a vacation. You never know. Maybe he's asleep. You need to wake him up. So they would cut themselves and they would do all kinds of stuff. I'm sure they were tired after all this big demonstration, but at the evening sacrifice, <clears throat> Elijah, what does he do? And I find this pretty neat. He rebuilds the altar. That's the first thing he does. He has to rebuild the altar, twelve stones, like was instructed. He rebuilds the altar. He puts the he puts the wood on. He puts the ox on there. And he says, hey, I want you to pour four pitchers of water. Did, they dig a trench around this thing. Four, pitch, four pitchers of water. Pour this on there. So they pour that on there. And say, hey, go get, go get four more. They pour it on there. He does it three times. Twelve pitchers of water. And they said it was fill up the trenches. First Kings 18, I want to read just a little bit of his prayer. <clears throat> First Kings 18, 36. <clears throat> Elias praying to Yahweh. They've already demonstrated all their stuff. Yahweh's praying, I mean, uh, Elijah's praying. So then it came about at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, today let it be known that thou art Elohim in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. You notice he didn't say, I'm doing these things because I'm mad at the children of Israel. He wasn't saying that. I'm disappointed in them. He had the same passion. He had Yahweh's heart. Verse 37 says, answer me, O Yahweh. Answer me that this people may know that thou art Elohim and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire came. Right after this, you know the story. That Elijah, he just kills all those prophets of Baal. It has been settled. Yahweh is the one true God. It's been settled. So he kills all these prophets of Baal, doesn't he? But that doesn't make Jezebel real happy. So Jezebel's out to get him. Now you would think after this great big exploit that his faith would have just soared I said, man, I'm untouchable. Look what had just happened. I mean, this fire, and he's I mean, consumed all this fire, and these prophets of Baal, they're all dead. This is great. I'm going to live off this high for a long time. It didn't work that way. He gets word that Jezebel's after him. What does he do? He runs. He runs, and he hides in a cave. You know, just because we stand alone And we have Yahweh's blessing. We're speaking His word and we'll feel His power. Doesn't mean we won't get discouraged. This is a prime example of it right here. Our humanity longs for fellowship. How Yahweh has treated us longs for fellowship. To have things in common with others that we can relate to. Just because we stand alone for Him. Doesn't mean we're going to be immune to this. Elijah tells Yahweh, I have been very zealous for you. The sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed the prophets with the sword. I alone and left, and they are trying to kill me also. See, you see it, that, that Elijah actually thinks he's the last one left. <laughs> That's got to be a, a bad feeling. I'm the last one. They're trying to kill me. So he goes and hides in the cave. This angel wakes him up says, hey, what are you doing? He said, you got work to do. So he sends him on his way. And another thing that just hopped out, you know, so who was it that fasted 40 days, 40 nights? It was Yahshua, wasn't it? Eliah also ate a meal. He said he was sustained for 40 days and 40 nights. On that meal. This angel woke him up. He put this meal in front of him. And he's gone. For 40 days, 40 nights. He says that, that, that food sustained him that long. I thought that, huh, that's pretty amazing. It could be good on a Bible Bible trivia or something maybe. <laughs> There's a <that> thunder again. <laughs> Anyhow. What does Yahweh tell Elijah? says, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel who haven't bowed their knees to Baal. I've reserved 7,000. Elijah thought he was the only one. He thought he was the last one left. But he says, I've reserved 7,000. Even though we may look and we may feel, we may physically feel, emotionally feel that we're alone. We're never alone. There's always going to be a remnant of his people somewhere. We may not be able to see them. They may not be around us in our location, but there's somebody somewhere serving the heavenly father, doing his will. We're never alone. Yahweh is right there by us and there's other people doing his bidding as well. You know, uh, Jeremiah is another one I think of that's put in a position that he didn't even ask for. Sometimes we're put in positions we didn't ask for. And we're reluctant to take on those positions. We may think that we're not qualified at delivering the message. We actually might may think that what's he doing delivering that message? He's not qualified. You ever think about that about somebody? I'm sure you have. Most of us have. I don't want to hear from him. He's not qualified. Maybe their appearance doesn't make him a qualified. Maybe their status in society We think they're not qualified for this. You know, Jeremiah, we're going to turn there right quick. He didn't have a lot of say in the matter. Turn with me, if you will, if you want to, to Jeremiah 1. Verse 4. It says, Now the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. This was Jeremiah's lot in life. He didn't have no say in it. This was Jeremiah's lot in life. Verse 6 says, let's see." <clears throat> then I said, the last Yahweh, behold, I do not know how to speak because I'm a youth. But Yahweh said to me, do not say that I am a youth because everywhere I send you, you shall go and all that I command you, you will speak. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you to deliver you, declares Yahweh. Then Yahweh stretched out his hand and he touched my mouth and Yahweh said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. It's going to be a pretty great experience, <clears throat> you know. And Jeremiah uses his youthfulness. Hey, I'm, I'm young. I don't have the experience. You know, you leave that to to somebody who's older, who's who's lived life a little longer, who's had a few more experiences. Drop down to verse uh, chapter nine. <clears throat> But Jeremiah carries on, doesn't he? He does the bidding of Yahweh. And he feels what Yahweh feels. And in in chapter 9 bears it out. In verse 1, he says, Oh, that my head were waters, and my eyes were a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the desert a wayfarer's lodging place. That I might leave my people and go from them. For all of them are adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men. And they bend their tongue like their bow. Lies and not truth prevail in the land, for they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, declares Yahweh. Those are Yahweh's words that Jeremiah is feeling. He's feeling the pain. He's feeling, he's feeling the anguish. Everything that Yahweh is feeling is, is put upon Jeremiah. He is passionate about his message. He's overwhelmed with grief and sorrow. He's burdened for the lost. And the people he's burdened for, they don't get it, do they? They don't get it. You ever try to give good counsel to somebody and they just don't get it? It happens. We've all done it. And we have probably had it done to us. Somebody tried to give us good counsel. And we just. We're focused on one thing. And we just don't get it. Jeremiah 20. Verse 7. Says. Oh Yahweh. You've deceived me. And I was deceived. Thou hast overcome me and prevailed. I have become a laughing stock all day long, and everyone mocks me. This task you've given me, everybody's mocking me. They're laughing at me because because of this task you've given me. See the the, the humanity part. Yahweh has has told me before you was born. Before you conceived, I knew you. This is what what I have for you. Jeremiah's not liking it. He's not liking the isolation. He's not liking the standing alone. Why is that? Because he's human, just like us. He wants to fit in. He wants to have fellowship. Verse eight says, "For each time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction." Because for me, the word of Yahweh has resulted in reproach and derision all day. Everything I speak is negative. It's not pretty. It's not just like Micaiah. When I speak, I speak. It's negative. They they perceive it as being negative. Jeremiah says in verse nine, but if I say, you know, I'm not speaking anymore. I'm tired of feeling this way. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to have me some, some me time. What happens? Jeremiah says, then my heart, it becomes like a burning fire. It is shut up in my bones and I'm weary of holding it in. I cannot endure it. See what we need in this day and time is people who will have a burning heart for the heavenly father. Who speak his words with a fire and with authority. We don't need motivational speakers. You see that a lot in churches today. Motivational speakers. Everybody, they feel good about themselves. Yes, yes, that's great. I can do this. I can, and and we need motivation. I'm not saying that we don't need motivation. But a lot of times you don't hear the hard messages, do you? You just, you just don't hear because they're not popular. Nobody wants to hear it. People who are speaking don't want to. They don't want to get in that position. Well, I'm isolated. Nobody wants to talk to me. They hate when they hate to see me coming. You know. <clears throat> Verse ten. For I have heard their whispering of many terror on every side. Denounce him. Yes, let us denounce him. All my trusted friends, watching for my fall, say. Perhaps he will be deceived so that we may prevail against him and take our revenge on him. His very friends saying, maybe he'll be deceived. These are his friends. You would think his friends would be right there with him. Jeremiah standing alone. His own friends have abandoned him. i'm afraid this is the walk many times it is so good to be able to come to fellowship in a place like this where we can have fellowship with one another and we can we can lift up iron sharpen sharpens iron we can encourage one another we can say the hard things i hope we can say the hard things that need to be said You know, Jeremiah, he gets, he gets put in prison <clears throat> in chapter 37 and he's confined to house arrest. But Jeremiah continues to speak, doesn't he? He it doesn't, he doesn't stop. This fire that's in him does not stop. He just continues to speak. So they're about to be overrun by the Chaldeans. Jeremiah tells them to he say, Hey, if you want your life to be spared, you need to just Lay down your weapons and go with them if you want your life to be spared. Now, in our carnal way of thinking, said, no, we're not, we're not laying down. We're going to fight. We're going to fight. We're not, we're not doing this. And, and that's kind of how most of us would probably feel, I feel like. But they didn't recognize Jeremiah as being a prophet. Had they recognized and embraced that Jeremiah was a prophet of Yahweh, they may have taken heed. <clears throat> but what do they say? He said, "Let this man be put to death." He is discouraging the men of war and all the people who who are left in the city. He is not seeking their well-being, but rather, rather their harm. He's seeking their harm. Always, I mean, I mean, Jeremiah's message came from Yahweh. It wasn't something he just dreamed up one day. Said, "Hey, you know what? I think, I think we ought to surrender." That will be a better idea than than letting them come in. No, this wasn't Jeremiah's idea. This was Yahweh's idea. They didn't recognize him. Let me ask you this. Have you ever sat in the congregation where the pastor said something that made you angry or whoever was speaking, maybe not a pastor, If that's never happened, then either you've only listened to pastors that, that that tickle your ears, obviously. We've all been there to where somebody says something, it makes us angry. It goes against what I want to do. It goes against what I'm feeling. It goes against this carnal part of my body, my, my body. But I'm not I'm not looking at those things. I'm just looking at I don't like your message. Now, what should we do in that situation? Should we bow our back? and Say, I'm not listening to him anymore. I can't stand him. Just like Micaiah. I can't stand him. Or, if we're professing to be followers of the Most High, should we prayerfully go with an open mind, with a blank sheet, and ask Yahweh, is he... Is he really saying the truth? Is what he's saying, is it actually true? Am I really this way? Am I really stiff-necked? Am I obstinate? Am I really, is this path I'm going down, is it really the wrong path? That's what we should prayerfully pray about. Get into Yahweh's word and understand that. Don't Don't be mad at the messenger. Now, if it's one of those pet peeve doctrines, you could just kind of blow it off. You know, but if it's really coming from Yahweh's word, think about it is most of the time you don't recognize it. Just like the children of Israel, the prophets would go over and over and over again. And they did not recognize it because their hearts were so hard and so calloused. This is why we need a, a contrite heart. They lower Jeremiah down to a muddy cistern, where he's left there to die. You know, and Jeremiah, his, 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 he, he gets out of that situation. <laughs> they get out of, out of situation after situation. His career spanned more than thirty years, or forty years, during the reigns of the last Judas, the last five kings. And I feel like most of the time, he felt alone. I feel that this is how he felt. You know, Hosea is another one I think about. Hosea's story is so strange. So, Hosea, Yahweh tells Hosea, Hey, I want you, I've got an object lesson to teach Israel. I've got this lesson they need to see. I want you to go marry a prostitute. That sounds weird. I want you to marry this prostitute. Hosea's first child was Hosea's. Says he has other two, two other children that are not his. Now you think, do you think Hosea asked for this? Do you think Hosea was excited? All right, I'm marrying a prostitute. I'm gonna have two kids that aren't mine. I'm raising these kids. He wasn't excited about that. This is an object lesson, though. Keep in mind. But Hosea was faithful, wasn't he? He kept bringing, bringing her back, just like Yahsh- Yeshua. Yahweh keeps bringing us back, over and over again. Bizarre. So if if somebody was was speaking, and you knew they was married to a prostitute, had two kids that was by somebody else, how much, how much time, ear time would you give them? Not much, would you? Say, Man, weirdos. I ain't listen to him. I'm not listening to that. That's just how we are. Yahweh uses some strange situations sometimes. David feels the same isolation. Look in Psalm, if you will, Psalm 69. Psalm 69, 7. David saying, Because for thy sake I have borne reproach, dishonor has covered my face. I have become estranged from my brothers, and an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for thy house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach thee have fallen on me. When I wept in my when I wept in my soul with fasting, It became a reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. Those who sit in the gate talk about me, and I am the song of the drunkards. He's standing by himself. David's feeling the pain of loneliness because of what he's standing for. Are we willing to to do that today? think when you, when you look at people who have had a big impact on culture and their society down through the ages, I think you will find that most of them felt pretty lonely I think if you see, search them out and you study their lives a little bit you will find that they're pretty lazy, lonely A.W. Tozer says the truly spiritual man is indeed something of an oddity he lives not for himself but to promote the interest of another, talking about the Heavenly Father. He seeks to persuade people to give all to his Master and ask no portion or share for himself. He delights not to be honored, but to see his Savior glorified in the eyes of men. His joy is to see his Master promoted and himself neglected. He finds few who care to talk about that which is his supreme object of interest. He is so often silent and preoccupied in the midst of noisy religious shop talk. For this, he earns the reputation of being dull and over-serious. He is avoided and engulfed between him and the society widens. He searches for friends upon whose garments he can detect a smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces. And finding few or none, he, like Mary of old, keeps these things in his heart. You will have to stand alone sometimes. I will have to stand alone sometimes. And it's looking like that's going to be pretty much normal as times go on. As we see our culture crumbling around us. We got to remember that Yahweh is always there. He's always with us. And we also have to remember that when Whoever's up here speaking or, or anywhere, not necessarily here, but wherever they're speaking at, hear the word. If it pierces your heart, you need to open up and ask Yahweh to reveal whatever's, what He's trying. If it, if it hurts that bad, you need to figure out why it's hurting so bad. It must have hit a nerve. Whatever they're saying must have hit a nerve. We need to figure out why. Is it the carnal flesh That's crying out. Some of us here have had experiences of rejection, haven't we? Some of you have left your families. They don't get it. They don't understand why you're walking this walk. We can't fear. Let fear and isolation, loneliness, whether it's individually or collectively, keep us from speaking the truth. You know, many times we feel alone in a crowd. You ever felt alone in a crowd? I'm sure most of us, most of us have. And sometimes, you know, we have different characteristics. Our our lives are, we're different. Some of us are introverted. And so that may be some of the reason. You know, if this rejection we feel, if it was from the world no big deal I don't care I don't care what the world says but most of the time the rejection is from your own people the very people you love the very people you're closest to the very people you want to have fellowship with that's where the rejection lies A.W. Tozer again he says the pain of loneliness arises from the constitution of our nature Yahweh made us for each other The desire for human companionship is completely natural and right. The loneliness of the Christian results from his walk with Yahweh in an ungodly world. A walk that must often take him away from the fellowship of good Christians, as well as from that of the unregenerate world. His God-given instincts cry out for companionship with others of his kind, others who can understand his longings and his aspirations, his absorptions in the love of Messiah. And because within his circle of friends, there are so few who share his inner experiences, he is forced to walk alone. The unsatisfied longing of the prophets for human understanding caused him to cry out in their complaint. And even our master Yahshua himself suffered the same way. So don't think it's a weird thing if you feel like you're alone. Remember, Yahweh is always there. Remember, Yahweh always has There's a remnant somewhere. Somewhere there's somebody serving Yahweh. Do not forget that. Hold on to that. But at the same time, do not be hard-hearted in receiving that truth from that lonely man or woman who's trying to give you counsel. May Yahweh bless you.